one of the brand new findings is that these super centenarians have a microbiome that detoxifies xenobiotics. Not only are molds and fungi producing xenobiotics, but also all of our crazy plasticized xenobiotics, they have a system that handles these guys. Welcome to Examined, where we unlock the secrets to optimal health and well-being. Join us every week for conversations with leading experts and life-changing stories that will empower you on your health journey with your host, Dr. Ann Shippey. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Ann Shippey. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Examined. I'm excited to go on this journey with you and share these insightful and valuable interviews from my esteemed colleagues. Our exploration into the fascinating world of health and healing kicks off with a deep dive into a topic that is profoundly transformative, yet often overlooked, the role of the gut in healing chronic illness. I am thrilled to introduce our guest for today, Dr. Stephen Gendry. He's a renowned pioneer in this field with a wealth of practical and clinical experience. Dr. Gundry will enlighten us on the significant changes our gut microbiome has undergone, sparking an epidemic of leaky gut that significantly impacts our health. We will explore how diet and the right bacteria can not only prevent, but cure modern diseases. Our conversation will delve into the complexities of leaky gut, gluten, and their health implications. We'll also discuss various health testing methods the power of specific bacteria in producing short-chain fatty acids, and the ingenious ways diverse cultures have detoxified certain plants. As we navigate deeper into the mysteries of the gut, Dr. Gundry will share his unique perspective on the Human Microbiome Project, its connection to autism spectrum disorder. We'll underscore the importance of a nourishing diet during fetal development and touch upon the potential dangers of Roundup an herbicide linked with leaky gut and other health conditions. Finally, we'll talk about Dr. Gundry's upcoming book, Gut. It's a must-read for anyone seeking a better understanding of their body. Join us as we unravel the mysteries of the gut and how it contributes to our overall well-being. Thanks for joining us. Are you struggling on how to handle toxic mold exposure and unsure where to turn to for help? Good news. I've consolidated all my best mold-related resources into our Mold Resources Hub. This hub includes information on how to test your body and your home for toxic mold, a free guide on how to determine if mold is causing your symptoms, best diet, supplements, and other lifestyle tools to support detoxification and healing, my mold toxicity workbook, articles and podcasts on toxic mold and related illnesses, and a Q&A with answers to the most common questions on mold toxicity illness. With more than 10 years of experience tackling this challenging health issue, this information will hopefully provide the resources, tools, and encouragement to aid you in your journey towards recovery from mold toxicity. To download your free guide, visit annshippymd.com forward slash mold. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Shippey, and today we get to talk with Dr. Stephen Gundry. He's a distinguished cardiothoracic surgeon, and he's now focusing on dietary changes to cure modern diseases. He's a prolific, best-selling author, and he's also 
been very scientifically oriented with documenting his work in over 300 peer-reviewed journal articles to really look to see how our diet can eliminate heart disease, diabetes, autoimmunity, and so many others. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I am so excited because we get to talk about how the gut is just so foundational in healing from mold and other chronic illnesses. And and you really have been such a pioneer in this area. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom. Well, I don't know how much wisdom I have, but I'll share my time. <laughs> awesome. So in your practice, you know, it's so interesting because we, in allopathic medicine, we get so siloed, right? With, you know, okay, cardiothoracic, you're just going to look at the heart, but you've, now really expanded to to look at the whole body. And so noticing that some of your patients are really needing to address mold. So what kinds of things are you seeing with your patients that alert you that there might be a problem? Well, I think so about 80% of my practice now is people with autoimmune diseases who have been to, oh, I don't know, four or five, seven different physicians, has alternative medicine, you name it, they've been there. And a lot of them are on Im- Im- immunosations for their symptoms. Uh, and most of them don't want to be on immunosuppression medications. Most of them, when they wind up in my office, aren't getting any better, no matter what they've been told to do. And I... I guess, approach it in a different way. Hippocrates, uh, the father of medicine, said 2,500 years ago, all disease begins in the gut. And I've been... He's right, too. I spent the last 25 years of my current practice trying to figure out how we knew this. And my upcoming book, Gut Check, is really kind of a an ode to how he actually knew this and the science behind this. So that's kind of where we start. And one of the things that I've talked about in, in all of my books, kind of starting with Plant Paradox, is we used to have a fantastic defense system against the various environmental troublemakers that we encounter. And that includes plants that we eat, and that includes fungi and molds. And we had a really robust uh, system that could hand not only handle what was thrown at us, but maybe just as importantly, would educate the immune system that, number one, we've got your back, that you guys kind of relax and don't worry about things we're going to inhale, things we're going to ingest, because we've got a system to handle these things. And... Number two, we, the immune system is educated literally pre-birth about 
what things that it should probably be interested in things that it really can disregard. And I, I like to use the example for my patients because it makes sense for them. When I was growing up very long ago, nobody had peanut allergies. We all took peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to school. Peanuts were passed out, you know, at break time. Peanuts were passed out on the airplanes, even in semi-modern time. And nobody had a peanut allergy. Now, that's surprising because, as I've written about, 95% of human beings carry an antibody to the peanut lectin. So it's, well, wait a minute. We're all, we all carry this antibody, but 50, 60 years ago, nobody reacted to this. Now, of course, some poor kid opens a package of peanuts in school and three kids are whipping out their EpiPens having an anaphylactic shock. And what happened? Well, to use what I've just talked about way back when our gut microbiome was diverse, when the wall of our gut was intact, when we didn't have intestinal permeability, our immune system basically had been taught, look, that's a peanut lectin. It's not very interesting. Yes, it's a foreign substance, but it's really not a troublemaker. And I use the example, you, you know, the cops can go have a donut and a cigarette and we're like, not have to worry. <laughs> however, we don't have this defense system. Our microbiome is a wasteland. A hundred percent of patients that I see have intestinal permeability, leaky gut, hundred percent. Haven't met one that doesn't. And the immune system, rather than having a smoke and a donut, is in a Kevlar vest with two Uzis and fingers on the trigger. And whatever foreign substance that even looks a little bit odd now comes through the wall of the gut or the wall of the airway. Bam! You know, it's like it's open season and you're firing off, you know, 100 rounds of ammunition per minute. And so the same thing that would have not caused a big problem 50, 60 years ago, now it's inciting, you know, World War III. And when people hear that story, a lot of times things start clicking. So up and, there. And, and it gets to be a feed-forward loop. So... There's so much good data, especially animal data, on the mycotoxins from mold being one of the triggers of leaky gut or the increased intestinal permeability. What are some of the other things that you think are really have created this epidemic of leaky gut? Well, I think n number one, the this great microbiome. I mean, we have normally there are bacteria that like eating gluten. They really enjoy it. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> I get a kick out of, you know, oxalates are the new, you know, trend. But most people would normally have oxalate eating bacteria that make them 
totally harmless. I was just on an Instagram discussion recently, and people were screaming about how you're missing the point oxalates are the great health menace. And I said, gee, and, and how dare you recommend sweet potatoes, which have oxalates? And I go, well, wait a minute. I guess somebody should tell the Okinawans, one of the longest living people in the world, who ate 85% of their diet is a sweet potato. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> is a sweet potato. And it's, well, they're living a really long time and they're not you know, dropping over with arthritis and they haven't killed off their kidneys. Why do you suppose that is? Well, because luckily when they were great long-lived people, they lived on a remote island and they had a great gut bacteria that would normally detoxify oxalates. And one of the things I write about in the new book, one of the brand new findings is that these super centenarians, these people who are 110 years old and, and older, one of the unique findings now is that these people have micro, a microbiome detoxifies xenobiotics. And not only are molds and fungi producing xenobiotics, but also all of our crazy plasticized xenobiotics, they have a system that handles these guys. And we all should have had a system that handles these guys. You know, after all, bacteria and fungi in general don't like each other very much. Most of our antibiotics, of course, are fungi and mold derived. And so it makes great sense that these two are major competitors. And one of the interesting things we know about bacteria is that they can rapidly evolve to handle a new mold toxin or fungal toxin, as we're only finding out from using too many antibiotics. So, so what you're referring to is the antibiotic resistance and fungal resistance. We're seeing such an increase in fungal resistance, too. Absolutely. So, so one, one of the things that I see is that, so all, all my patients have leaky gut. Uh, we can heal leaky gut. And there's lots of ways to do that. But my problem, as I tell my patients, is look, we can heal your leaky gut. I can give you supplements that'll do it. But if you keep swallowing razor blades every day, then you're just going to slice it right back open. And so what I started going after as a research interest were these plant compounds called lectins, and they're just one of the plant defense system. Oxalates are another one. And let's, you know, let's get these out of your diet and, and then go from there. And so we, so we, we used to have a great microbiome. We, we clearly don't. We used to have a great defense system of acid in our stomach. But now, thanks to acid-reducing drugs, which are used by millions and millions of people, 
we no longer have number one in the acid barrier uh, that is actually really good against breaking down proteins. And for most of the time, these toxins are proteins. And that's gone. And the other thing that continues to shock people is one of the best producers of leaky gut is non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. It, can you just, for those listening, explain what those are? Because it, it, I suspect a lot of people are taking them. Ibuprofen, naproxen, you know, Aleve, Advil. People don't think anything about it. It's, oh, I've got a little headache. I'm going to take it. Yeah, the sad thing is these drugs were introduced back in the 1970s. And the drug companies knew exactly what they did. They were introduced because at that time, aspirin, which is also a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, was known to damage the lining of the stomach. So drugs were designed so that they wouldn't damage the lining of the stomach. Unfortunately, these new class of drugs damage the lining of the small intestine. Now, from a drug company standpoint, that's a great thing because a gastroscope uh, can't see down into the small intestines. And so when all the studies were done, lo and behold, miraculously, no more stomach ulcers. What they knew from animal experiments is that the ulcers were farther down in the small intestine where the GI doctors couldn't see. But when they were first approved, this was known. And so they were only by prescription, and you could only take them for two weeks because they were so dangerous. I remember those days. And now, of course, they're, you know, this widest use, you know, over-the-counter drug there is, and they're used constantly. I mean, we have children's Advil, and people don't realize, and I've written extensively about, this is like swallowing a hand grenade. This is such a great question as a cardiothoracic surgeon. Is there ever a time that you think that, that people should use NSAIDs, including aspirin, or should they just find another alternative? I don't have, it's a kind of a side. Um, there is a benefit for very low dose aspirin. Very. Like when you say low dose, less than 81 milligrams? Coded 81 milligrams. The reason why that is, enteric coated means it won't dissolve in stomach acid, and aspirin has to have acid to be absorbed, salicylic acid. So an enteric coated 81 milligram aspirin dissolves down in your small intestine. And so because it's not much of an acid environment at all, very little gets absorbed. But here's the good news. A little tiny bit of salicylic acid converts omega-3 fats into their active anti-inflammatory compound, which is called resolvins. And without, you actually will get very little anti-inflammatory benefit from fish oil, from long-chain omega-3 fats. So it's a little fun thing. And That's really I, fun. 
have patients look, you know, one or two times a week, take a baby aspirin. It's not to prevent a heart attack. It's not to relieve pain. I just want you to have a little bit of salicylic acid to activate resolvent. And so it's, it's cute little trick. I turn it off the subject. No, but I, I think it's a good trick. Uh, and it gives people some perspective when, you know, we're putting some context around things. Let's not never take it. There may be times to take it, but don't take it very long and take it at the right dose and find other substitutes if you can. So, I mean, these in general, these compounds are COX-2 uh, enzyme inhibitors. There's a really good COX-2 enzyme inhibitor, Baswalia, which is, you know, an Indian plant. And it's in one of my formulas, and I like it a lot. The good news about it is that it doesn't cause damage to the gut wall. It works in a totally different way. So you can get the benefits of a COX-2 inhibitor without swallowing a hand grenade. Beautiful. So when you're doing your testing to check out your patient's guts, what tests do you like to do? Well, so I use Vibrant, Vibrant Wellness. And what I do, I mean, we could talk about how leaky gut was proven, I guess, by Alessio Tizano, who's now at, at Harvard. And I've been on a few panels on him. He's a really funny guy. And, uh, you know, <laughs> great. But I think when I started this, if you had asked me 20 years ago what I thought about leaky gut, I would have told you it was pseudo because there really weren't any mechanisms, number one, and there certainly wasn't good measurements. And even following, you know, the history of Dr. Pisano, when you know, he was trying to figure out how gluten caused celiac disease. And he, he looked at a model of cholera. And cholera, of course, a bacteria that causes, you know, watery diarrhea enough that kills you. And he was trying to figure out, well, yeah, why did it do this? So he found a compound called zonulin. And zonulin, of course, hits another receptor, which breaks the tight junctions, and that causes intestinal permeability. And he was able to show that gluten, which is a lectin, binds to the same receptor as the cholera hit and makes zonulin. And so when, this, when he discovered this, every one of us in this area, said, oh, this is great. All we got to do now is measure zonulin, and we'll know who has leaky gut, and great. So we all have measured zonulin, and lo and behold, maybe 10% of people, maybe 20% of people who we were convinced you know, had leaky gut had a positive zonulin in their serum. And you go, well, so much for that theory. And then people like Vibrant America said, you know, hang on a second. He's proven this mechanism. Maybe we're measuring the wrong thing. And zonulin would be attached to receptors. It wouldn't be in the bloodstream. 
But if you had leaky gut, the, you would have a space, and zonulin would now be recognized by the immune system on the side of the gut, and they would make an antibody to zonulin because it's a foreign compound. Maybe we should measure antibodies to zonulin. And when they did that, it was like the floodgates opened. And you go, son of a gun, and there it is. It's so accurate. It's so helpful. And then I'm so aligned, too, because then when you get the gut healed, that those numbers come down. Watch it right, come right on down. Mm-hmm. And they thing with anti-actin. So actin yeah. is molecules that forms the tight junk. If you break it, that's then going to be seen by the immune system. And you would make an antibody to actin. And what's fascinating is, so you can give people a report card. You can say, here it is. You know, you're all of your, you know, everybody says you're crazy and you're a malingerer. And look, you know, you got wide open leaky gut. And then, you know, you give them a program and they can watch. And what's, at least in my practice, what's interesting is most people's anti-actin kind of heads down first, followed by anti-zonulin. Then you can just watch this progression. And the other fascinating thing, kind of getting back to what we started with. So 100% of people in my practice have antibodies, IgG antibodies, to the various forms of gluten. And there's lots of forms, the laden and gluten. 80, well, 90% of people have antibodies to wheat German gluten. 100% of people have antibodies to non-gluten wheat proteins. 100%. 100% to gluten. Even my patients who have been gluten-free for 10 years have antibodies to gluten. And, you know, they're, they're shocked. And they go, but, but I don't eat gluten. I, you know, I'm gluten-free. And I go, you don't understand. Your, your immune system is armed and dangerous. And they may have seen this 10 years ago, but because you've got wide open le- leaky gut, they're still ready in case it comes across. What's really exciting is that when these people heal their leaky gut, all of these antibodies to gluten, to wheat germaglutinin, non-wheat proteins, go away. They're gone. And that gets back to what we started with originally. You've got you've done two things. Now you've got a much more diverse gut flora. Now they're communicating to the immune system, said, hey, we're back. The third stringers are gone. You know, we're healthy, we're ready. Got your back. Go have a donut and a cigarette. And the other thing that's happened is now the wall of the gut is healed. So you don't have constant invaders that the immune system is, you know, armed and dangerous. And when people see this, it's so reassuring that everything that they knew, they had a gut feeling that something was wrong and to actually see it and then resolve it. I mean, that's why I keep seeing, I see patients six days a week, even on 
amazing that you're doing all of this, the research, the patience, the the writing books, the speaking. <laughs> you're definitely on a mission. Hippocrates, I think, wanted me to do this, I guess. <laughs> well, you have a special brain to put all this together. And I love that you started out with surgery and have ended up with food and supplements. It's really beautiful. <laughs> so what else with patients with is there anything else other than the vibrant labs that you'd like to do to kind of get a baseline to measure progress? Are there any other areas? Box and testing. I don't, quite frankly, I don't do it very often because most people who we do it on have a fairly standard set of mycotoxins. It's, you know, a flavotoxins, lots of other mycotoxins. They're all coffee drinkers. Do we sometimes see folks with black mold? Yes, we do. And oftentimes we have a sick building that we find the reason. But I go back to what I started with originally. I went to medical school at Georgia in Augusta, Georgia. I lived in the South quite a bit of my life. If these molds were as deadly as they appear to be now, then everybody in Augusta, Georgia should be dead. Everyone in New Orleans should be dead. Uh, everybody in half of people in Austin, Texas should be dead. At least. <laughs> yeah. It's the construction here has really gone downhill. Uh, people, long before all of our stupid things happened, had a system that defended against these toxins. And so we've now, these things have always been there. We've always, our bacteria have always competed with mold. Mold and fungi have always competed with bacteria. They competed with us. And we've just lost the that ability. And we can bring it back. So getting back to this, interestingly enough, I'll still have people who will test for mycotoxins after they're cured. They still have mycotoxins, but they no longer react to them. And I think, to me, that's empowering because a lot of times people throw up their hands and they go, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I can't get rid of all this. I can't move. I can't, you know... Uh, I'm not going to stop drinking coffee. Dave Asprey. We do have some less coffee that I would really recommend switching to. <laughs> so, but I think the benefit, at least the direction I go, is that, you know, I'm not going to, I cannot get these things out of you for the most part, but I certainly can get a defense system against them in you. And, and that's, I'm a surgeon. I'm, I'm practical, you know. This is great. So when you're starting to work with somebody on their gut, you've got some testing to see what the degree of the intestinal permeability is. And then what's the approach for really helping them to get their gut healed so that then their body can handle getting rid of the toxins better? It's multifactorial. Just there are certain plant compounds that, and we test for lectins, and there are certain plant compounds that are mischievous. They do not, plants 
don't want to be eaten. They they were here first. Don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, they are they're chemists of incredible ability. I mean, they can turn sunlight into matter, and we haven't figured that out yet. So they use, you know, chemical warfare, biological warfare against their predators. And the idea was that plants, if they make you feel bad with leaky gut, for instance, then a smart animal says, you know, every time I'm eating these things, I don't feel very good. I'm going to go eat something else. And the system brilliantly for millions of years. So I, one of the things I do is, look, you know, let's get recently introduced foods into the human diet out. What are those recently introduced foods? Well, it's grains and pseudo-grains. It's beans and, you know, other legumes. And surprising to a lot of people, vegetables and fruits from the Americas. And, you know, the nightshade family the squashes, unfortunately. Even, believe it or not, goji berries are nightshades. Sorry about that, everybody. And so... And yeah, people get so confused, right? Because the what's the supposedly the best thing one day is, oh, wait, that we were wrong. And chia seeds. Oh, we see a number of people where chia seeds are inflammatory. Well, they're an American, they're a South American food. You know, most of us uh, are from... Europe, Africa, or Asia. And none of us were ever exposed to a North or South or Central American plant until 500 years ago when Columbus brought them. And I'm, I'm fascinated how cultures have figured out how to detoxify these plants. I mean, for instance, the Italians refused to eat tomatoes for 200 years after Columbus brought them back, their native son. I didn't know that. That's interesting. And to this day, in Italian culture, to make tomato sauce, you always peel and de-seed the tomatoes. In fact, the Roma tomato, which is has the most pulp to seed ratio, and they were hybridized by the Italians, so that all you did was you know pull the peel off after putting it in hot water or scorching it. Cut it in half, scoop out the bulb, and then throw it in the pot to make tomatoes. And it's, I mean, it's just fascinating. The Italians, all, well, the Southwest American Indians always peeled and de-seeded their peppers. What's really funny on Italian pizza, everybody gets the pepper flakes and the, the seeds and the top. That was what was thrown away from the peppers. <laughs> That's good. And smart said, hey, you know, let's not waste these. But that's how those came about. The people go, well, what they do? They harvested the seeds and the skin? No, that was was thrown away. And that's what I, you know, I love going around the world, finding out how these cultures detoxified these foods. Most people don't realize that beans have their own set of bacteria. And the principle of soaking the bean was actually to ferment the bean and to ferment the lectins off of the skin. And knows that this bubbly stuff rises to the top. Well, that's the fermentation process. And 
so you start, you know, you look at these cultures and go, man, are these guys smart? They knew something. They're probably more in tune with their bodies <laughs> and just developed the, te- the techniques from there. So initially you would say, take all of these foods out, but then maybe sometime in the future, if you prepare them differently, you might be able to add them back in. Yeah. The other thing we've seen with some of our really mischievous autoimmune patients who have four or five active autoimmune diseases, a lot of those folks react to all forms of dairy, and a lot of those folks react to all forms of milk, uh, of eggs, sorry, both yolks and eggs. Now, the good news is once we seal everything up, we can reintroduce a great number of these foods. Sometimes not all of them, but most of the time we can reintroduce these things, which is exciting. That's the carrot on the stick I hold hold out for people. There's hope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you start with cleaning up the diet so that the the gut isn't getting re-injured all the time when it's already inflamed. And then what's next? Well, so you've got to, one way or another, uh, reintroduce bacteria that are capable of making postbiotic short-chain fatty acids. And there's various ways to do this. I happen to be a, a big fan of a company called Pendulum Life. That I love them. Not only Acromancia, but other butyrate-producing bugs. I think that's not... I think that's a great start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make uh, a compound called BioComplete 3 that Pendulum happens to love because I was able to nano-encapsulate butyrate and so that it's actually delivered to your lower gut. You can swallow all the butyrate in the world. It's not going to do a thing. And Pendulum agrees with me. But you have to deliver it where it needs to be. Now, the other thing that I write about in the new book, Gut Check, which is exciting news but bad news, in that you could swallow all the soluble fiber in the world that these fermenting bacteria really and really need. But bad news, you're not going to make much butyrate. And the reason for that is butyrate-producing bugs actually have precursors of other short-chain fatty acids and other components. It's almost like an assembly. And this was, and I give full credit to the Sonnenbergs from Stanford, the husband and wife team. They did a great human study where they took two groups of humans with gut dysbiosis. They gave one group a large amount of prebiotics primarily inulin. And the other group, they gave the inulin, but they gave them fermented foods. And in that case, it was primarily from yogurts, but there was other, there was kimchi and there was kombucha. And they looked at, number one, their gut microbiome diversity, and number two, their inflammatory markers. And surprise, 
The inulin group, the prebiotic fiber group alone, had no change in their gut diversity and no change in their their inflammatory markers. And you go, well, so much for prebiotics. The other group that got the, uh, yes, they got some probiotics, but not very important. The postbiotics, they're the ones, and the prebiotic fiber, they're the ones that got gut diversity, and they're the ones that the inflammatory markers decrease. So I think that's, it's another piece of the puzzle. Now, I'm one of the first to tell people, look, uh, most of the probiotic foods you're eating will never make it past your stomach acid. And we'll never colonize your gut. Sorry about that. But what even Pendulum would admit is that dead bacteria tell tales. And I have a whole chapter on dead bacteria tell tales. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Dead bacteria carry information. And so don't worry that all those that you have 10 billion living cultures in your probiotic. I don't care. It's the information that's in those things from those dead bacteria that's actually going to start this process. And that's actually quite exciting. Very exciting. That's why, believe it or not, I mean, vinegar, which is acetic acid, is a wonderful precursor, short-chain fatty acid, for butyrate. And so if, you know, get your vinegars, folks. It's an easy way to get. Does it make it with a salad dressing kind of thing and put it on food? Or do you just take it straight or in a capsule? <laughs> so some San Pellegrino sparkling water and put a tablespoon of balsamic vinegar in it. And you'll have, you know, my fake Coke and you'll do yourself a favor. Beautiful. And do you have a favorite kind? Yeah, actually, and I have no relationship with them. There's a company out of Napa Valley called Napa Valley Naturals. And get their, they make two, get the reserve of balsamic vinegar. It's very cheap. It's very syrupy. And it makes the best fake Coke there is. Hey, I'm going to order it today. <laughs> it sounds great. You have me sold for sure. <laughs> I love these tips for, you know, to move this process along. There are so yeah. many things that we can do to help the intestine lining heal. And I love this, you know, creativity that you bring to finding solutions. Well, so there's, again, you, you really want to get butyrate one way or another down to the wall of the gut. Most people maybe by now know, maybe not, that colonocytes, the the cells that line our large intestine, are 90% dependent on butyrate as their fuel source. 90%. That's their only fuel source. And most of us, sadly have no butyrate-producing bacteria. And if we did, we don't give them any precursors in terms of prebiotic fiber to make butyrate. In fact, I was watching the news this morning, and they had a... The news, as everybody's seen, is 
younger and younger people are getting cancer. And it's, you know, it's an epidemic of younger and younger people getting colon cancer. And it's an epidemic of younger and younger women getting breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And they had a wonderful doctor on, young woman, who said, well, you know, our problem is we need to change the guidelines. So we're doing testing earlier and earlier, or, you know, we're very excited that now at least everybody knows that when you're 45, you should have colonoscopy. And we're working to make sure that women get CA-125, you know, earlier and earlier. And I'm going, no, why um, everybody is getting these earlier and earlier? You know, Hippocrates could have told you, I'm happy to tell you, you're happy to tell you. But no, it's, oh, we got to get all these agencies to test earlier and earlier. The cancer is not good for you no matter what. <laughs> When you find it. And so for, so, for instance, no wonder we have this huge uptick in early colon cancer. Because now we have, you know, an entire generation who's totally devoid of butyrate uh, and butyrate-producing bacteria and foods in their diet. Well, and it totally makes sense with then why we're so much more predisposed to these environmental toxins, you know, when our guts aren't help working with us to detoxify, of course, we're going to be more susceptible to things like cancer and autoimmunity and all these toxin-related diseases. Yeah. Right. And, and again, you, you have to hearken back to, well, you know, why are these super old people super old? And you know, what's the tricks? And, um, Believe me, or not, I have an old chapter on how the blue zones aren't blue, and it's, it has nothing to do with a plant-based diet, by the way. Uh, so, but I, was, we won't, I can't yeah. wait for your book to come out. It's coming out in January. Is that? Right. Gut check. Gut check. It's going to be great. Well, and it's, I, you know, so often, you know, we're working with patients who are so, so ill, to help them find their way back to health. But wouldn't it be great if we have people listening that, and I hope this book gets read by the people that are like, oh, yeah, we want to start now to avoid the cancer and autoimmune diseases and diabetes and all the things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what motivates me, and I've written about this, I think, since the first book, Hippocrates Again, how he knew it, I'm not, I have no idea. But, you know, all disease begins like God. And Hippocrates thought that a physician should, well, I'll start. So Hippocrates believed that all creatures had what translates from Greece as green life force energy, very California. And that this green life force energy wanted this creature to have perfect health and that there were external factors getting back to what we're talking about today that was preventing that green life force energy to uh, express itself and hippocrates believed that a physician should be a detective 
who would find these external factors and then teach the patient to remove them. And then the green life force energy would heal the patient. Love that analogy because that's exactly the message that I want to come through. It's exactly that. That's beautiful. Thank you. And so, you know, when I first discovered that years ago of Hippocrates' teaching in this green life force energy, I said, geez, that's what I do. I'm merely a detective. I'm just appointed by Hippocrates. I can teach my patients to remove these external factors. And in this summit, we're removing these mold and fungi toxins. They'll heal themselves. It's really exciting to watch. Now, hilariously, it's not a green life force energy at all. It's a brown life force energy, and that's the 100 trillion bacteria that live in us and on us. But he was right, and that's the energy. And, and, and why would they be the energy? Because we are their home. And we have evolved in a symbiotic relationship with them. And it's no wonder that the super centenarians have this incredibly robust biome that's ready for any of these environmental things that's thrown at them because that's their own. And they're you know, there's nothing that's been interfering with it. They don't have these stupid external factors that we've introduced for our health. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I love it that you're finding the solutions, though, for really helping the people to figure out how to get their gut, gut healthy again. And I think you're, you know, you touched on earlier, I think, you know, even the children being born now, a lot of times they're already, you know, having difficulty establishing a healthy gut microbiome. And that's why we're seeing increased risks of autism and ADD and childhood cancers, diabetes, and all that kind of thing. There's, for instance, who would imagine prior to the Human Microbiome Project that the placenta would be teeming with bacteria, that the amniotic fluid would have its own component of bacteria, that the fetus would have its own component of bacteria. It's, no, you're kidding. You know, this is sterile. This is privileged space. And it's not. And now, I mean, the connection between the microbiome, even in the placenta and autism spectrum disorder is, I mean, it's not even conjecture anymore, folks. Sorry. We now know the link. And so, yeah, we need to empower. It also gives hope because there's a link and we can. It, he... If I was an obstetrician now, I would spend my entire work with my pregnant patient working on her diet. I don't care about anything else here. You know, <laughs> I participate with the pediatrician and, you know, this is, guess what? We're a team and mom, here's what we know. It's not your fault. You didn't know this. And you know, here's how to make a great baby. Uh, and I, I wrote about that in the Plant Paradox Family Cook. 
because we now know that this, you know, this starts at the fetal development. So is there anything else that you want to share about healing the gut and particularly as it is related to people that are dealing with mold? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's worth looking in your environment, particularly if you do mycotoxin testing and you do come up with, you know, black mold, then it's worth looking. You may not find it. That doesn't mean that your home is where you were exposed to. You could be in a sick building. And one of the things we've learned, sadly, is that air, a leaky building is probably a wonderful thing. And a leaky home is probably a wonderful thing where we had air movement. So many of our buildings and homes are far more toxic than stepping outside. There are, I think, useful home air purifiers. I happen to air doctor. I have no connection with them. I have one in my office, as a matter of fact. So there are ways to mitigate, but it's worth having a mold expert come in if those things you know, are found on mold testing. There are low mold coffee. Interestingly enough, a very famous coffee chain may have the highest flavotoxins of, of any coffee, and I won't mention names, but they're very big. Um, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and so, you know, you just find, I personally, uh, Dave Asprey and I are good friends, and good for him for Danger Coffee. I personally import my beans from Italy, which has some actually very tough mold standards. Yeah, isn't it interesting how other countries have much tighter standards than we do? Um, and they can, they'll probably be tightened up even more. I would be remiss to tell people that one of the biggest causes of leaky gut in the United States and Canada and Mexico is Roundup. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. So important. Interesting things. We now... Roundup, most people don't know, was patented as an antibiotic by Monsanto. An antibiotic. Hmm. Roundup selectively kills off basically friendly bacteria in our gut, leaving the bad ones unharmed. It selectively kills off all of our tryptophan pathway bacteria, tryptophan serotonin, 5-HTP. And... Isn't it interesting the amount of anxiety and depression in the last 50 years that people didn't have before? But what's really interesting, so I'll have a lot of my patients who we, we, and glyphosate is everywhere. It's in all of our oats, folks. Please do not eat, drink oat milk, and please do not eat oatmeal. And Click. corn. It's in corn. Soy. Sorghum. It, it's in all of our products. It's in canola except organic canola that's why i used to ban it but it's much less present in europe and what happens to a lot of my patients is they 
They eliminate all these foods, all these grains. They go over to Europe. They're cured. Autoimmune disease goes away. Their leaky gut goes away. They go over to Europe. How can they resist? They're eating croissants and baguettes and having... Mine, mine too. It's changing a little bit, though. I'm not having as many people be able to get away with it. In Europe. Over to Europe, and they're, they don't react. And they come back and say, oh, you know, you cured me, Dr. Gundry. And they come back and they start having our food. And in two weeks, they're on the phone going, what the heck? You know, I thought it was cured. I said, no, you're back eating <laughs> food. And, you know, I'm sorry, you can't have these things. It's in our food supply. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, with all the cancer cases against... Monsanto bear, you would think that we would just be mm. able to influence the farmers to to change what they're doing, but I think it's so so indoctrinated. It's going to take some time to make the changes in our food supply. You realize now we have super reeds, of course, that are resistant to Roundup. So the what the poor farmers are doing is they're doubling up, tripling up on the Roundup to try and control these super weeds. And so it's just, it just keeps snowballing. And just remember from a medical profession standpoint, sickness is good for business. And, you know, big pharma, big medicine, big agriculture, they're all interwoven. I wish it wasn't true, and but it's sickness is good for business. Unfortunately, fortunate. Yeah, but I think as consumers, we can vote with our dollars and eat organic as much as possible. Eat local organic, even more than that, and support the restaurants and places that are serving local organic. And hopefully, we can vote with our dollars and get some changes happening. Well, you know, I talked a few years ago, I was talking with uh, Peter Mondavi, Robert Mondavi's son of Mondavi Winery. And he was telling me that it took them 10 years to weed themselves off of chemicals in the vineyard, including glyphosate and fertilizer. Accolades to them, though, for doing it. That's amazing. Yeah, and well, because, you know, hopefully, and we're, we're seeing a lot of California winemakers in my area doing organic, doing biodynamic, which is even one step beyond. Certainly over in Europe, a lot of organic wineries, a lot of biodynamic wineries, they're way ahead of us. Um, Please support California wineries, but I drink mostly wines from France and Italy. Right, low my low toxicity. Yeah. So, yeah, good producers, and we're getting there. So, whenever I find you know an organic or biodynamic winery in California or Washington State or Oregon, I well, I try to join their clubs. I can't drink all that wine, but I, yeah, we got to support these people. Because it's expensive to do this. Yeah, it really is. But again, it's voting with our dollars. 
so that people can make the changes that they need to. So anything else you want to share on healing the gut and the hope for getting well? Well, there's, you know, there's all sorts of wonderful gut healing compounds and we could spend an hour on that. What are uh, your top two or three? Well, they're all in my formula, total restore from Gundry MD, but, uh, Glutamine is actually quite useful. Uh, Deglycerized licorice is really quite useful. Uh, marshmallow root is really quite useful. And I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah I, it's important to, to mention because they are so powerful for helping that mucosal integrity to restore. So, Well, for mucosal integrity. But I think it, it comes down, at least to me, if I can have people stop swallowing razor blades, the gut will heal. <laughs> and so that's what I So want. start with that, and then you can add in the um, right form of uh, butyrate and probiotics and the mucosal lining healers if you have the budget and, and wherewithal to make those additions. Interestingly enough, a lot of times, you know, getting rid of ultra-processed foods, getting getting rid of a lot of these grain-based products, which are loaded with glyphosate. That actually saves people money. They're shocked. I take care of Medic- Medicare and Medi-Cal and Medicaid patients. And, you know, some of these people are really sick because they're, they live in food desert. But they end up saving money if for no other reason you know, their diabetes is gone, their hypertension is gone, their, you know, their, their arthritis is gone. And so they, they actually end up saving money. So it's not a, it's not a well-to-do person's game. And it's, you know, if you don't have your health, then, then what's the point? So trying yeah. to prioritize getting the food that is necessary to heal is just it's so foundational. Yeah, I, I saw a, a new patient who's 65, very successful individual, you know, has a exotic car collection and blah, blah, blah. And when we did all this work on him, he's got seven disease processes that are really scary. And he sees some of the finest physicians in L.A. at a major university. And he's with his wife. And he says, what the heck? You know, they didn't tell me anything about this. And what the heck? You know, how am I going to enjoy all my toys? You know, I got to start, you know, he's amassed a fortune. And he's built great things. But this is the only house we're ever going to live in. And it just. It's coming home to roost. So, now can we round you up? But how to put the priority there? So, I've been debating about whether to ask you this question. You published a study using the pulse test that really grabbed my attention to look at pre and post COVID vaccination. Would you care to comment on that? Sure. Actually, I just so that that test, the pulse test basically looks at markers of inflammation on blood vessels and also a marker of uh, myocardial cell damage. 
And what we noticed, we do this test every three to six months of all of our patients. There's a cardiac screening of what's going on in blood vessels. And shortly after the vaccines came out, the mRNA vaccine, we noticed a major jump up on these markers just across the board, 95% of our patients. And we didn't, and we saw it with COVID as well, I should say. Same pattern. And so we would notice that this would last for about three to six months and then it would subside. But when they got a booster shot or the second shot, it shot up again and it would go like this. So I submitted a paper to the American Heart Association about this. And it was accepted for presentation, and it was. And then I got a letter from the program committee chairman saying, we'd like you to withdraw your paper. And I said, why? And he said, well, it's, you know, we think that it would be in everybody's best interest. And I said, you guys accepted the paper. You know, it was peer-reviewed by your committee, and I might add, I've been president of the American Heart Association of Southern California chapter in the past, twice, and I was on the reviewing committee for the American Heart Association annual meeting for years. I'm not, I got no dog in this fight. You know, I'm telling people that this happens. And he said, well, it's I said, isn't it the American Heart Association's mission to take care of people's hearts? He said, no, you don't understand. That's the FDA and the CDC's job. And we'll let them handle that. And he said, I'll tell you what, we'll rewrite your abstract and you sign off of it and we'll be okay. Well, the rewrite was me. Might as well not even say anything. And I said, no, I'm not going to sign this. They said, well, why don't you try to rewrite it? And so about four iterations later, it was watered down to where they keep it. Now, it turns out what's interesting is there are now three papers from around the world confirming. In the study. So that's pretty statistically significant with the number of markers that are in the pulse test. So I think that's great that there's additional studies confirming what you found. Yeah. I mean, we've subsequently, I've got a paper that's got a, that's been accepted over in Istanbul for a meeting. We've subsequently seen sudden deaths in people with known heart disease, with stents, two to three weeks after the booster shot, sitting in their chair. Yes, COVID can be really bad for you. There's no question about it. Uh, but people, you're supposed to have informed consent. And people should know that there is a real incident. In every, so in my practice, of every human being, got the mRNA vaccine, having a measurable jump up in inflammatory markers. Which then increases the risk for 
heart yeah. attack, stroke, cancer, osteoporosis, all the inflammatory diseases. Number of people who've developed atrial fibrillation out of the blue in my practice. Out of the blue, following the show. And these are all people that are on your protocol. They're all already yeah. working on their health. So that's, to me, that says a lot because the people yeah. that don't know to be working on their gut and to be, be eating healthy, it, it would be interesting to you know, compare that, that they'd be even higher without all the efforts that your patients are making. Right. Well, and that, that gets back to one of the things about COVID. Viruses in general are really good for causing leaky gut. And 25 to 30% of the presenting symptoms in COVID were GI symptoms, nausea, diarrhea, abdominal pain. And so it doesn't, so we know that COVID can do that. I personally think long COVID is leaky gut. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is all those risks for bad outcomes in COVID are the exact things you see in leaky gut, whether it's diabetes or heart disease or hypertension. So it just follows that. Yeah. Well, I am so grateful that you're applying your brilliance to this area <laughs> and then, you know, really working on getting the news out so people can even do prevention. I think probably most people listening know how to find you, but I'd love for you to just talk about where to find you, your information, and then the reminder on the new book coming out and where they can get it. So then go to GundryMD.com, which is my food and supplement company, and go to DrGundry.com. I've got two YouTube channels. I've got the Dr. Gundry podcast. And the new book will be Gut Check out January 9th. And check it out because basically showing my take on everything Hippocrates got right and putting science to it. So. Beautiful job. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your energy and, and really creating a, an awareness about true healing. Well, we got to get the word out, all of us. And, we're, you know, we're all trying in our own ways to do it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, full show notes, which includes descriptions, key takeaways, resources mentioned, and memorable quotes from this episode can be found not only in the description of your podcast player, but also on our website at anshippymd.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with a friend that you think would get value from it. And we'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash examined. Dr. Shippey will be reading these out on future episodes. And don't forget to tune in next week for another inspiring conversation with a fascinating leader from the world of health and wellness.